hearing these these bright and talented people from around the world who are able to join these challenges and make their voices heard for companies like PepsiCo and Unilever and, and Nike, you know, these big brands, but also see how that participation is able to really have a meaningful impact um, in their life in a way which really resonates with kind of our mission at MindSumo. That's one of the most gratifying aspects of, of becoming more global. Workforce transformation, a future of work where individuals are owners of their own career. Companies buying work outcomes, not employees, on the open market. Welcome to State of Independence, the podcast about how independent work has completely transformed the U.S. economy and how you can take advantage of it. I'm your host, Asya Haq, Vice President of Talent Marketing at MBO Partners. Today, we will talk with Keaton Sweat, Vice President of Product at MBO and CEO and co-founder of MindSumo. We will talk about open innovation and how to help companies and workers find common ground through leveraging the power of the crowd. Keaton, it's amazing to welcome you onto the State of Independence podcast channel. Uh, You and I have gotten to know each other really well during your time as a vice president of product at MBO Partners, a new role that you've taken on in addition to your role as the CEO and co-founder of MindSumo. So welcome. Thank you. It's great to be here. I have enjoyed the other episodes you've done and so feel very honored to have been chosen as a guest. Really looking forward to this conversation. Well, we talk about the fact that MBO is at the 10th year of studying independent work in America, and that is sort of the theme behind this podcast is the state of independence in our in our nation. And so a way to really make that more human and to amplify what that means for workforce change and even just for personal change, I always like to ask our guests Where were you 10 years ago today, and how did it bring you to where your business is today? Interestingly enough, 10 years ago was pretty much right when MindSumo was getting started. We started in 2011, and so we were just kind of throwing around the initial idea for what MindSumo could become, uh, you know, the how we were going to take this nascent idea we had and turn it into an actual full-fledged startup company. And so I was not that far removed from graduating from college and deciding instead of going kind of the corporate path, because, you know, I was lucky enough to have an offer at Oracle Corporation from an internship that I had had previously, decided to take the plunge with my two co-founders and embark on this journey of creating a company. Well, for the benefit of our audience that may or may not be familiar with MindSumo as a business, let's paint that picture. So it was you and two other individuals would love to know who they are. Where were you and what did you create when you began and incorporated this company called MindSumo? Sure. So when we started MindSumo, as you mentioned, it was myself, uh, my co-founder, Trent Hazy, and then my other co-founder, Rohan Peronik. Trent and Rohan were actually roommates from Stanford, from their Stanford days together. And Trent and I had known each other for quite a while, you know, back a number of years. And we had, we had discussed, you know, this idea of potentially starting a company together. It was something which we had tossed around, especially Trent and myself uh, for a number of years. And going back a little bit further, when I was a junior in college, kind of finishing my junior year and getting ready to start as a senior, um, I had had that internship I mentioned to you at Oracle Corporation and was living in the Bay Area with Trent at the time because he had another internship close by as well. So we were living together and we really used that summer to kind of lay the foundation for what would become MindSumo after we graduated. Trent had a year left at Stanford. I had a year left at Johns Hopkins. And it was then when we started discussing 
you know, what was a what was a business idea that we could be passionate about and that we thought could be impactful and really make a difference. And the more and more we we talked about it, the more we kind of threw ideas around, we really focused in on this concept of trying to do something with the college student market in a way that was going to help students with outcomes, you know, after graduating, because we felt like there was a big disconnect between what students were able to do in the classroom versus trying to prepare them for the real world, trying to prepare them for what they would need to do once they didn't have, you know, the counselors and the professors and, you know, all of the resources you have as a, have as a student. And so that's how we kind of came to the idea of this platform where we could connect students with companies around these crowdsourcing challenges, where they could test out a number of different projects. They could really see behind the curtain as to the types of problems they could expect to work on if they were hired by certain companies. Um, and while they were doing this, they were also growing their expertise. They were building their resume. They were able to earn money. And then for a lot of the students, they were able to, to generate positive outcomes in terms of internships and jobs as well. And so, you know, it was kind of from this seed of an idea that we spent our senior years uh, continuing to, to kind of hash over and figure out whether or not this was something that was going to be viable. And, you know, did we really want to take the plunge and do this? And when I graduated, we, we decided, you know, let's give this a chance. If there is ever a time where we could live out of a dumpy little room somewhere and survive off of ramen noodles and peanut butter and, uh, you know, just, just kind of throw caution to the wind. Now was the time we were young. Neither of us had families, you know, we didn't have very much savings either, but we, we kind of set a deadline for ourselves saying, look, if we can get far enough along by March of 2012 to where we feel like we can turn this into a real thing, um, we're going to stick with it. And, and we had kind of told ourselves if we can't do that, then we have to, we have to kind of pack it in and go get jobs. And interestingly enough, it was actually March of 2012, pretty much when we raised our first round of funding. And so we, we were just under that deadline we had set for ourselves, but then it was off to the races from there. And, and uh, you know, that was really where we were able to start growing the company and kind of executing this vision that we had had since we were students. I love it. It's like all the elements of a great startup story, you know, like the garage in San Francisco, the Bay Area, <laughs> the, you know, the ramen noodles. I totally love that. And, uh, and the success, you know, that comes with really hustling around a dream. And, you know, for you, that was a, a decade long journey before the point that Mindsumo was acquired by MBO. And now your product is a part of our broader thesis on the future of work and the role of uh, what we call open innovation inside our firm. So tell our audience, you know, for, for that journey from one source of funding to I think a pretty impressive roster of logos of, of Fortune 500 companies that you have now served with this product, how did you arrive at the model that you believe is relevant and will scale today? You know, what is it that MindSumo does? What is the service it offers and what problem does it solve for clients? MindSumo is at its core, as you've mentioned, an open innovation platform. And for those who aren't familiar, open innovation is really the concept of organizations going outside of their own four kind of metaphorical walls to try to find ideas and solutions and insights that can help push the company forward and imbue the company with new innovation that you wouldn't be able to get if you really just stuck within the confines of your own organization. You know, if you think about it, no matter what company in the world, you know, it could be Google, it could be Microsoft, it could be these massive global conglomerates. 
you know, if you take the, the portion of people who are employees at those companies compared to the number of people in the world, it's still such a such an infinitesimally small fraction. And so you're missing out on the opportunity to be able to tap into kind of the innovation, the creativity, the solutions that exist um, when you go to a broader audience and, and kind of use external sources through the crowd uh, and using open innovation channels to do that. And so I think that, you know, MindSumo, what we do specifically, we spent a number of years building this audience of, we really focus on millennial and Gen Z kind of creative problem solvers who are able to come in and engage with these companies through these crowdsourcing challenges. So the company will post a problem statement on our website, and then we will blast that out to our users who are able to come, submit an idea, and then if their ideas can really float to the top as one of the best ones, they'll get rewarded with cash prizes for that. Um, and as I mentioned, in many cases, it's a great way also to kind of build a bridge between them and the companies in case they want to continue working together. Um, but I think that open innovation is very relevant going back to your question, especially in today's market, because obviously, you know, the Internet has made possible so many things which you know, would, would have been unthinkable in the past. But even more so than that, if we if we zoom in closer to what's happening right now with COVID and with so many people working remotely and so many people rethinking what you know professional work should even look like, um, and you know MBO is obviously very much at the forefront of this. I think that open innovation is a tool that companies can't ignore any longer because if they do, they do it at their own detriment, just because so many companies are recognizing the need to pull in the brightest talent, the brightest ideas, no matter what the source is, you know, it doesn't have to be from your own internal teams. It doesn't have to be from the R&D lab, which you have built as a company. If you can find a great idea anywhere, I think it's the responsibility and the opportunity of a company to go out and seek those ideas and, and use them. Um, and, and the nice thing with open innovation is not only does it allow the companies to do that, but it allows people who normally wouldn't have had those opportunities to participate and contribute. It gives them a voice and an ability to, to kind of join in that creative process and really make their ideas felt and heard at these companies. And so, you know, those are, those are some of the ways I think open innovation really is, um, is a, is a tool and is, um, is an opportunity for this moment specifically. And moving forward, I think we'll see it even more adopted, um, you know, in the years to come. Well, you did, did an amazing job of, of highlighting the sort of the macro opportunity. I will say that as a, somebody who's been on both sides of the house, both as somebody who's created, you know, platform products and as purchased and evaluated them inside a business, what I find impressive about what you've accomplished First of all, the longevity of actually kind of doing this for a decade is extremely impressive and getting in at the front end. But more so, it's that there's many challenges or reasons why companies wouldn't do this that are more oriented towards fear or risk or ease of use. And I think what I find powerful about having you know used MindSumo's platform and explored how it reports data and insights is that it's a platform, right, that takes away um, some of the difficulty of doing this at scale. And then a partnership that you offer that includes the right legal frameworks, meaning people understand that they're joining a challenge and how they're going to be rewarded and not exposing that company to undue risk from evaluating and accepting outside ideas because of the intermediary and the technology that you create. 
and then bubbling up um, meaningful results in a dashboard format that really allow an innovator, you know, business manager, leader to actually do something with that insight in, in an actionable way, which is actually sometimes the most difficult part of crowdsourcing is to actually understand and digest the insights in a measurable way. And the reason I can speak to this with that sort of level of specificity is that, you know, prior to my first two startups, I spent 10 years in the consumer packaged goods industry. And I fully intend to share this podcast with a lot of my friends in CPG because we built products using an insights process that was very traditional, right? Traditional agency partnerships, traditional like validation mechanisms for whether an idea was good or solid that had to do with um, looking at traditional market research. And we missed the opportunity to get this type of real-time feedback. I can think very specifically, I was thinking about this last night, actually, I was made responsible for a project with a very junior stage. I was an assistant marketing manager at Quaker Oats, and we had to come up with a quick response to the low carb trend when that hit the market. And if you think about it as chips, like, how do you do that? Right. And so it was an incredible exercise in trying to figure out, like, could we build a low carb snack? And, and we did. And, you know, what are the finances? How do we launch it to the market? What is the branding? If I had had the opportunity to road test that packaging, that idea, the value units, the which words we used to, to deliver the benefit in real time, it would have been incredible and it would have led to a better product in the market. And so to me, that kind of, this is sort of allowing CPG and other industries to be more humble about ideation and innovation. So we don't know it all. We know what we know using the tools we have and if we had better tools, we could probably release better products that do better in the market. So that becomes sort of the direct ROI piece to the why for crowdsourcing. And I find that to be a bigger opportunity even than maybe even where MindSumo is today. And so where do you see the different ways that you would take this in the future? I mean, clearly the road is bright, you know, clearly the the way that this is thought about in society and in the future of work, it's going to work for you, right? So mm -hmm. everything is ready. The formula is ready. Where do you see it going next for crowdsourcing as an industry and then for the role of MindSumo in that journey? Mm -hmm. Well, I think you really hit on something which is very true when it comes to crowdsourcing and open innovation in general, which is that I think, you know, over the last decade, something which has been a bit of an obstacle for crowdsourcing and open innovation to truly catch on really ties back to what you mentioned, which is companies' inability to, to really quantify hard ROI. A lot of times, you know, you can get a tremendous kind of data dump of really great ideas, but then having the kind of discipline and the strategy to be able to take those ideas and implement them in an ex executable fashion, um, can be tricky no matter how big and well-organized an organization is. I'll be the first to admit that oftentimes when a challenge completed, when we did that core value proposition of getting them those ideas and having this crowdsourcing engagement where they have the dashboard where everything was submitted and they're able to interact with that data, you know, at the end of that, a lot of times our clients would say to us, awesome, you know, we have all of these ideas. What do we do next? What, what should we do now? And MindSumo as a little as a little startup, it was hard for us to, to really know how to answer that question. A lot of times, you know, we could give them some recommendations, but we didn't ourselves have either the personnel or the expertise or any sort of product element where we could say, oh, you know, there's this clear path from A to Z now, go do this. And so 
when when we started talking with MBO about why this could why this was a deal that could make sense and how it could really shape you know MindSumo's crowdsourcing offering in the future, a lot of that was tied to the fact that you know MBO partners with its with its vast and impressive network of independent consultants and and you know contractors and and all of these people who are working for themselves that really brought in an entire new element to MindSumo's potential because instead of being kind of a top of the funnel you know front end tip of the spear innovation tool it could it could still function in that purpose but then be able to loop in the folks who had the relevant skills and expertise and background to be able to say okay now that we finished this we are actually going to bring so and so into the engagement who can now create an implementation plan and act as the project manager to make sure that these top five ideas you found don't just sit here in a folder or on a dashboard, but they actually get developed and created and, and deployed within your organization. And so I think the key is being able to successfully and efficiently take the outcomes that you can get from crowdsourcing and open innovation, um, which are so unique and really the you know the core value of that of that type of activity, but then also marry that to an implementation and an execution plan, um, which you know which uh, which is going to enable the companies to take advantage of the ROI that they're getting. I see the sort of the depth of the product increasing, the vertical vertical integration towards not just identifying the problem or the opportunity but then solving for it with expertise uh, to deliver those outcomes. So very much something that, as I said, that I could see apply to many friends across many industries that are in positions of business leadership that are really being charged by their boards to deliver specific kinds of growth targets, which lead them to have to find the right insights, make sure the insights are correct and validated, that those insights are applicable often to consumers that are not in their own generation. So many business leaders today are, you know, maybe late stage boomers, Gen Xers, they're running businesses. And sometimes for them to understand how an idea or opportunity would even resonate with a millennial or Gen Z consumer that they want to have buy that product or service is very, very difficult because it is, it's a fundamental mind shift from what their own perception is about what would be the correct you know, words to use, um, way to market, um, how to design the product, how to deliver it. And, and I love that you have so many cases and examples within your community that kind of make that click. And so what I'd love to do next is, you know, share a, a crowdsourcing story that you're really proud of where all of this sort of theory becomes a reality. Like, who did you work with if you're able to say what did you do and what was the outcome you're proud of that the community achieved and the client sure. achieved? Yeah, you know, one one which always sticks out and kind of comes to mind for me because of both the outcomes that the company experienced as well as the, you know, the user experienced. One of our early clients that we worked with uh, quite a bit was John Deere Tractors. And they have these big, complicated pieces of machinery that they are selling. Um, and so they wanted to do a challenge, which was targeting engineers uh, to try and come up with a unique and novel way. Um, I can't go into the specifics, obviously, but a way to kind of change uh, the lawnmower blade mechanism that they would use on some of their products. And so, we launched this out to a you know to a big audience of the engineers that we had on our platform. And there was one user specifically 
who who came up with an idea uh, which the company liked so much that you know not not only was it prototyped but they actually ended up using it within the framework of of this product that they were selling and it was something that they had not thought of and you know probably wouldn't have come across that idea if it hadn't been for this challenge they did and what i really liked about that engagement was obviously it was a great outcome for the company but what we ended up learning later when we followed up with at this, in this case, it was a college student who had come up with this novel design. That student ended up getting hired by the company as well. And when we talked to the student, we asked him, he said, hey, you know, were, were you already thinking about John Deere as a potential employer? And he came back and said, oh, no, not at all. Like, I, I had no interest in John Deere as a company. I thought that the problem was really cool, but there was, you know, there was no thought in the back of my mind of, oh, maybe, maybe I should think about them as an employer. But as he worked on the challenge, as he saw how his skills and what he liked to do directly kind of applied to the type of stuff he would be able to work on if he was hired by that company, that's what really opened his eyes and, and made it clear that, hey, maybe I should take a closer look at John Deere as someone that I can work for as opposed to just a company that I can do this project for. And so... That would, that's another thing that I think is so beneficial about these, these types of crowdsourcing challenges. It's, it's almost a bite-sized way for people to expose themselves to different types of problems and also different companies, which can really open their eyes as to whether or not they should think of them as potential employers or whether they should think of these types of projects as really the, the crux of the skills that they have. Um, and so I think, I think that discovery process is one of the things which is exciting to me when it comes to Mindsumo, because it's a way for our users to discover what they like and what they're good at, but also a way for the companies to discover kind of hidden talent that they otherwise would never come into contact with through the ideas that they're able to generate. That is a really great value proposition that you provide to the talent market in terms of you know serving the sort of network of university students. And I know you have students that are members at MindSumo from you know many of the top universities across the country and, and even people around the world. So I do see that talent acquisition or talent elevation opportunity as a really interesting social outcome of what it is that um, you're doing, it still doesn't change sort of the primary business um, solution that you're offering to companies, but it creates a secondary opportunity on both sides. So I love the example that you share. One of the things that I found really fascinating about the fact that you're a small startup, started in the Bay Area, then moved, I believe, to Durham, is that correct? Is that where MindSumo was based until recently? that you had managed to attract a truly global roster of clients. And I thought that was extremely impressive given how challenging that is to do in our world and to scale beyond US borders, you know, at an early stage in your business's success is, is super impressive. And I know you've had clients all the way from New Zealand to the UK and other parts of the world that are very large companies. Talk about the fact that MindSumo has become an international platform and what that means for somebody who wants to get engaged, either as, as somebody who's talented and wants to solve problems or for clients that are looking for a global perspective and a global solution. Yeah, I mean, it's it's been an interesting and, and really fun process to add more of a global element to the platform. And, and I think what it means first and foremost, both, you know, for both sides of that marketplace, both the problem solvers and the clients, is that 
it's more open, you know, the, the opportunities are more open and it's like, you're kind of removing those barriers, you know, those, those, uh, those borders are getting erased to where if you wanted to do challenges with, you know, specific audiences in, in these, you know, these select countries, now you have the opportunity to be able to do something like that. And similarly, you know, some of my favorite, favorite things about working at MindSumo are when we hear from some of our international users about what the value of the platform has meant to them. We have users all over the world now. And I remember getting, getting a message from one of our users. She was a young, a young woman who was actually working kind of from her family's home in Pakistan. And she let us know my involvement in MindSumo has enabled me to not only, you know, further my education, but also create income, which has helped kind of pull our family from here to here as far as the standard of living that we have. And so hearing these these bright and talented people from around the world who are able to join these challenges and make their voices heard for companies like, you know, PepsiCo and Unilever and, and Nike, you know, these big brands, um, but also see how that participation is able to really have a meaningful impact um, in their life in a way um, which which really resonates with with kind of our mission at MindSumo. Um, that's one of the most gratifying aspects of, of becoming more global because it gives us the opportunity, I think, to touch so many more people um, and especially people who really can benefit so dramatically from you know the positive outcomes that they can get on the platform um, that's not to say that you know students in the united states can't have those outcomes as well but it is different if, if you're a person in a developing country where the opportunity isn't there or the you know the economic resources don't exist for you um, to be able to benefit from an open platform like mindsumo um, and and get the same type of benefit that you know someone sitting in New York City could get, but you know that benefit can stretch so much farther for you. It's it's been really exciting. Yeah, that that that's been really really fun for me to see. To me, the the macro implication is is one that I think is really important for the listeners in our community that are independents to understand, which is that truly the world is your competitive set for great ideas that can be executed. And so focusing on and knowing what you're great at and identifying the areas in which you can be a contributor is really, really important because it is a world now where talent from anywhere can deliver outcomes for a company based anywhere. And by the way, that works both ways. One of the things that we've seen in our State of Independence report that's sort of part of why we began this podcast series is to come up with some of these interesting and unique trends. And there's a there's one that's sort of a reverse, which is also really interesting. It's that 5.7% of the USD GDP was driven by independent workers. And that didn't just come from independents providing services in the US. It also came from independents in the US providing services internationally, which was a huge growth in demand. So I see that opportunity you know, those young millennial and now not so young millennial and Gen Z users that are on your platform, being able to respond to an opportunity from a client in the UK or a client um, in India, maybe in the future or Germany or Ireland, who knows, and to actually generate work opportunity that is cross-border and use platforms like MBO that make that safe and compliant to deliver those services. So so many new nodes that we're building between providers that can provide services and then buyers that can buy them that I certainly see a, a rosy future for the sector. And 
So one of the things I'll ask, and this is always a good challenge, and you sort of alluded to it earlier, and it came up in the conversation with Balaji that I thought was very interesting is, you know, understanding how crowdsourcing fits in the to the total value chain, you know, of how things get done. And you sort of alluded to this earlier, where you said, you know, there's things that we do well, and there's things that we're going to continue to work on doing to grow this opportunity and make it more actionable. What do you see as the big thing that might be holding crowdsourcing back from greater growth? And is there something as an industry, you're an industry leader, you've been one of the early pioneers within the sector. What's your what's your voice to the industry? What's your ask for how we take this to the next level? Yeah, that's a great question. And and I was talking about this with Balaji the other day, and, and he's someone whose opinion and insights on this topic, I, I really just admire and respect. And, and one of the things that he mentioned, which I fully agree with, is one thing that's holding it back is organizations making it easier to engage with this type of work. You know, when you think about how organizations traditionally kind of bring on new vendors or, you know, have their procurement groups, which which enable new, new technologies to be tried, whether it's something which costs $500 or something which costs $500,000, a lot of times it's the same process. It's, it's a lengthy, difficult process. And that I think holds a lot of organizations back because with something like crowdsourcing, where maybe they want to kind of dip their toe in at first, they want to test it out. Uh, they did just see it as too heavy of a lift to, to make it worth it for them. And so I think there needs to be a rethinking of how to make it easier for companies to engage with new types of technologies and new platforms without having to go through this, this long and drawn out and oftentimes painful procurement and onboarding process in order to do that. Because, you know, if a company says no, simply because they don't want to go through the headache of bringing on a new resource or a new vendor. It's such a lost opportunity for both sides. It's been such a pleasure shooting the breeze with you about the future of work and the future of crowdsourcing and how those two worlds are going to intersect and really transform how work gets done. I love the ideas you've shared about how clients need to think differently about this problem. And you mentioned that just now, you know, change their behavior or their comfort with using new tools to get results. I also really appreciated hearing the conversation about how young people, university students and beyond can really put themselves out there and use platforms like this to be discovered, you know, by companies that they would not otherwise have really come into contact with and that that creates a whole new kind of cross-pollination between talented people and companies that need talent in our economy. So both big, bright ideas. I know you've mentioned, and I wanted this to be sort of our closing, this idea of taking MindSumo on the road, not necessarily through corporate procurement and that bigger universal opportunity, but more through finding that network of talented people that already work in the marketing, research, innovation, R&D space or strategy, project management space, and giving them an opportunity to take your product and turn it around and package it into what they offer their clients. So sort of a reseller or affiliate sort of a relationship, but a very modern one that allows the person who is closest to the end client to bring them a very, very unique point of value. So because I know we have many people who fit that profile in our broader community, and they would be super intrigued to talk with you if they understood it, I'd love for you to just touch on it before we close up. 
MindSumo is a platform, which obviously we are able to sell to companies, but it's something that, as you mentioned, whether it's the independent or you know the, the person with a small two-person agency, um, if they were able to leverage and harness the power of a platform like MindSumo, it can not only give them the chance to provide new capabilities for their clients, um, but it opens them up to, to the power of open innovation and being able to loop that into the projects that they're already working on. And so something that we are kind of in the early stages of, of launching and putting together is, as you mentioned, a reseller program where MindSumo can, can become even more of an open platform where independents are able to take our technology and take our challenge model and almost package it into their own offerings and sell directly to their clients. That'll give their clients the ability to use crowdsourcing and open innovation as part of the discovery work that they're doing, but also give those independents a way uh, to, to act almost as MindSumo ambassadors. And so for us, it really seems like a win-win-win because from MindSumo's perspective, the idea of being able to leverage this engaged and an excited crowd almost as, a, as an alternative sales channel for us is, is very appealing and intriguing. But for the, for the resellers themselves, I think having, having the power of a platform like MindSumo at their disposal makes them so much more attractive in what they offer to clients because it's not just the work they can perform. They can come to those clients and say, by the way, we also have an army of you know hundreds of thousands of creative millennials and Gen Zs who we can deploy for the problems you're facing or who we can survey and poll for the for the insights you need to gather. It'll hopefully be one of those cases of you know a rising tide floats all boats. It'll just it'll just kind of bring better outcomes better work opportunities and and really a greater adoption of open innovation in general and i think you know all of us in this industry are are excited about that and, and trying to figure out ways to to make that happen super exciting and i can't wait to see that get off the ground and i'm sure for your community if they're listening in we are so excited as MBO to bring them into the fold of what the future of work really is going to look like and the role that talented problem solvers really can play in, in improving our future. So it's a very optimistic and very exciting um, stage, I think, to be in. And we're hopefully seeing the glimmers of hope that we're turning the corner on a very challenging past year. And so people are going to start to venture out into exploring opportunities that maybe were on hold. So it's a wonderful time to be talking about this, both from a business owner, partner, as well as just the talented problem solver community mm -hmm. themselves. Thank you so much for taking the time to sit down with me and talk on the State of Independence podcast. I know that this is going to be a great episode for our community and for those that follow crowdsourcing and open innovation in general. So really appreciate it. It is really my pleasure. Thank you so much for having me and, and really glad that we were able to, to have this conversation. I appreciate it very much. That was Keaton Sweat, Vice President of Product at MBO and CEO and co-founder of open innovation platform MindSumo. For more of MBO's insights on the future of work, visit mbopartners.com or find another episode of State of Independence wherever you find your podcasts. Thank you so much for listening.